Okay, the talk. It's all going to be on the screen because I don't have a script. And when I came in this morning and told Ian that, who has the dubious pleasure of trying to follow me this morning, he wasn't a happy bunny. And Chris Clotworthy said that this was a very dangerous policy because I could wander off and we could be here all day. Now, it is eminently the case that I could wander off. And we certainly could be here all day because I love talking about this stuff. However, that's why we've got the PowerPoint. It's keeping me on message. And I promise to try very, very hard not to depart from it. So, okay. As we've already said, this is the third in a series which Whitney began. And I'm finishing. And as I'm sure Whitney would say, I'm just aware this morning that in the passages that we've read, there are landscapes like the size of China, you know? I mean, there are mountains here and subterranean depths, and we're going to skate over the top of them. So I really do hope that you will take the passages home and meditate on them in the next month, because they warrant it. Um, you could do 10 sermons, 20 sermons on this. We're just doing the one for now. Maybe another time we'll have part two. But the reason I'm doing this this morning is that we're in a time of change as a congregation. I'm sure you've all noticed that. We've certainly noticed that Ken isn't here anymore and it's me, not him, this morning. We know that we've chosen, well, the hearing committee was, has chosen someone to come and preach to us in September. And then we all have a choice about whether we go with that person or not. But this represents change. We may have a new minister by the end of the autumn or by Christmas. Or then again, we may not if we don't like the person who comes. And I think that times of change are challenging times for us as human beings, obviously. And a good thing to do in that kind of time is to go back to basics. Now, not in a kind of hyper-right-wing, hyper-conservative way, where we hang on to what we've got um, in an almost obsessive way and won't countenance any any change or anything new, that's not healthy. But there is a healthiness to going back to look at the foundations of our faith and the foundations of our life together as brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's why we're doing this this morning. Now, Ian and I haven't worked together before, so um, we're going to kind of work on this as we go along. At times you'll hear me say, Ian, because I can't actually see the screen without craning round. Um, so just bear with us, really. But you'll hear me at times saying Ian when I want him to move on. But our hope is that he'll get used to my erratic style and that um, I won't need to...
and when to move on. So Ian, we're moving on now. You might wonder why I'm not using the word family this morning, because many of you will already have identified from Household of God that what we're talking about is the family of God, and that is the metaphor that God used in the Hosea passage. And the reason is this. It's not that we're not going to use it at all, but it's such a heavily freighted term. It is so loaded. It's just terribly loaded. We all come with our experiences of family, and some of those are really good, and some are middling, and some are downright awful. We come with our current experience of family, which also fits into those three categories and several more, because this is a very subtle spectrum. So I'm trying to put all that on one side um, so that we can come to the scripture with um, a cleaner slate. It'll never be completely clean, but I think household is a more neutral word for us, and I hope it's a meaningful word. I think it's being used in the scripture here in the sense of a kind of extended family, but even more than that, as a, a dwelling place of God where all are welcome. Whatever your status is, whatever your background is, whatever your age is, whether you're nine minutes or 99, it doesn't matter. Once we are birthed into Christ, we are members of his household. And I suppose the things we're thinking together about this morning are this. How do you bind together a hodgepodge of people who might never otherwise have come together? There are many definitions of the Christian church. There are many within scripture. And there are many theologians who've come up with much more elegant phraseology than this. And who have written, in fact, more words than could be numbered on this. And yet I think a hodgepodge of people who might never otherwise have come together isn't a bad description of the reality of us. How many would have, of us would have chosen to be together? In any average congregation, the answer to that will be, well, some of us would have gravitated to one another anyway because we're alike in some way. We, our personalities don't collide but coalesce. And that's great. And you just love it when that happens. But then again, in, every, any, in any average congregation, there's going to be a lot of people that you just instinctively don't like on sight. That's life, you know. It's background, it's, it's family background, it's all kinds of things. You just look at some people and from the minute they open their mouths, you think, ah, they're going to hate me. So we're diverse. And that is our glory, but it is also our difficulty. So what is the basis of our life together and what's the glue? In a sense, we've already answered that, but um, Ian, picture, please. Um, what do you make of these people? They don't much resemble a household, do they? And yet, if you look at them, they're a bit blurred because I could... I need Nigel to enhance my PowerPoint skills, but anyway, you get the idea. Some of them are in groups, some of them are in friendship groups, some of them are in family groups. There are older people, there are younger people, there are very happy, exuberant people, there are people who look a bit sad, there are people on their own. 
and they're all kind of there and, and we have all of those in Fitzroy and in other churches but they don't look much like a household because there's nothing really binding them together. Next slide, Ian. In Ephesians 2, Paul gives us the basis and foundation of our lives together. He reminds us of it because it was Christ, of course, who did it. But the reality is that to be a member of God's household, there's only one entry criterion. No matter what church structures we're in, there is one entry point for everybody, actually. And that is that we have been adopted through Christ into that new community. And in, in doing that, in being part of that community and part of that adoption, we simply are part of the household of God. We may not always remember that, we may not always think of that, but it is nonetheless a reality in terms of the way God looks at us. And I would suggest that in a time of change, linking into how God is looking at us is a rather crucial thing to do. And the exciting thing about this household is that it isn't a static thing. It's not actually about bricks and mortar, although it's nice to have a shelter to worship in. But it, it's, it's something much more fluid than that. It's something much more creative. It is actually a living organism. And the thing that blows my mind about all of this is that God says that it is within that living organism that he himself dwells. So there is something about our coming together this morning that is the very dwelling place in University Street this morning. It is one of the very dwelling places of God himself. Now that's worth meditating on for at least a month possibly six. Ian, moving on. The foundation and cornerstone of this living structure is Jesus, as we read. He has broken down the walls between ourselves and God, and therefore, in a real sense, he has actually already broken down the walls between each of us, between one another. But then again, We've got to put that into practice. We've got to live it. And that's difficult. It's challenging. And there, I think there is a real correlation in this passage, if you think about it, between the extent to which we work on that and take it seriously and the extent to which we as individuals and as a community of God's people actually experience the presence of God. That again is something to conjure with for some time. The joy of it all, of course, is that he has welcomed us home. And no Christian, no one who has come to faith in Christ doesn't have a home 
although it can feel that way. But we have come home like the prodigal son. And we are now belongers. We are belongers to him and to one another. But our task is to make that tangible. Our task is to live it. Ian, moving on. So yes, we are a new community. Paul says, a new humanity. How big is that? And this new household has been birthed and defined by God's love for us. His actions on our behalf. His everlasting commitment to us. So yes, God himself in Christ is the glue. He is the glue. Now children are born in this world in varying amounts of blood and pain. We are born into this new household through the blood and pain of God himself as we sang together in that hymn. His love is amazing, but it is extraordinarily costly. <clears throat> and yes, it will cost us all something to build the kind of community that he has called us to in. Because what he has done is truly astonishing. He has drawn us into the very life of the Trinity. And the Trinity, as we know, is an eternal communion, an eternal set of relationships. That's who God is. God is an eternal set of relationships. He is within himself an eternal communion. And he embodies what we find so difficult as human beings to do. And that is harmony and unity in diversity. God rejoices in difference. In many ways, he doesn't actually want us all to be the same. We spend half our lives trying to be like other people in order to be accepted. And in this culture of image, we try to look younger because that's the current trend or fashion. We try to look skinny, although some of us are long past any hope of that really. I include myself in this. Um, and what's it all for? God says, be yourself. <clears throat> but he doesn't say, do your own thing. He says, be yourself in Christ. Be yourself in me. And I will bind you, blend you, weld you into a community of people where difference can become joy. Ian, moving on. So we are no longer just a collection of eyes. We're not. We're a we. But this is not easy for us. 
We is very challenging for us, and I do think as a congregation, and maybe in this congregation we're better at it than in some others, I'm not sure, perhaps. But, but for us, we cannot become complacent about this. We cannot, I think, at this time in the life of the church in the West, ever be complacent about the extent to which we find the word we very difficult. It is not easy to do. Because our culture is just so incredibly individualistic and it's coming at us in all sorts of ways all day and if you're up, all night. And it creates within us, I think, this, this kind of schizophrenia, I don't mean as a medical condition, but this conflict within us where we all really want to belong. I mean, you can see it. Why? Why do young people join together in peer groups? Um, why do older people join the golf club? Why do, well I suppose young people can join the golf club too, but you know, why do we band together? Why do we value family? Because we want to belong, it's there in us, it is created within us and we want it, we want it quite desperately. And yet we're also incredibly frightened of it because we're frightened of the demands it makes on us. And make no mistake, it makes demands. It does. So we want it and we don't want it. And yes, we understand. We're not easy to live with. Nobody is. Um, nobody is. Church life can become such a fantasy world, you know, where we come to church sort of semi-scrubbed and semi-dressed up or not dressed up but fairly decent and we smile at each other. And these are good things, I'm not, you know, in any way against them, but church life can be such a fantasy, you know. And God's not into fantasy. God's into nitty-gritty reality. So it's a challenge. Next slide, Ian. But I think the inspiration of it is that when you experience community within the people of God, whether it's in a group, some of us look back to student days and Christian unions. For me, that was revelatory. It was the first time in my life that I had experienced a real depth of fellowship. Um, we, we remember it. I'm not saying that all CUs are great. I'm totally out of touch with them now. It could be a youth group. It could be a fellowship group. It could be a home fellowship group. It could be your family, your blood family. It could be. But whenever you meet it, you remember it. There is something about it that you want to go on forever. It gives you strength. Other people accept you, they encourage you, they support you, and they tend not to judge you, and they help you to grow. These things give us life as human beings. And the thing is, you know, this is why Jesus taught a lot on this, I'm convinced of it. It's what a lot of the Sermon on the Mount is about. 
And you see, we're not here because of our merits or talents. We know this. We know that all our righteousness is as filthy rags. We're here because we're loved. And we're here because we're loved. And I can't say it too many times. But then I'll keep you for your di from your dinner and I mustn't do that. But anyway, we're here because we're forgiven sinners. And that's our entry point. And there isn't any other one. We're not here because we're successes in life. Some of us may look more successful than other people. And maybe some of us are in some ways more successful than other people. But you know what? God doesn't care. Well, he cares about us, but so what? You know, that is not the entry point. There are no successes or failures in the Christian church. There just aren't. There's an entry point and it's the blood of Jesus and repentance and faith and all those very basic things. But that is the entry point. And boy, is it a great leveler. And I rejoice in that leveler. I rejoice in it. It doesn't matter this morning whether you've messed up your life. God welcomes you. And if you're in Christ, you're here. He loves you. It doesn't matter if you're sitting there feeling lonely. Well, it matters that you feel lonely. But you are precious and prized. It doesn't matter if you feel that you've messed up as a parent. In one sense, God loves you. God loves you. So what right have we in the light of the fact that we are all forgiven sinners? What right have we to judge ourselves over harshly? What right could we have ever not to forgive one another or to try and get on with one another? Okay, it isn't easy, and I'm not saying that forgiveness is easy. It can take years. If the hurt is deep, it can take years. But we can start a process. We can start on the journey. And on that journey, we will find God, and we will encounter God in ways that otherwise we won't, because we'll shut him out. We'll be out of phase with him. And do you really want to be out of phase with the Trinity? Ian, next slide. So yes, we are no longer a group of individuals or interest groups with our own agendas. And there is no age group in this church that is any more important than any other age group. There is no marital status or family status in this church that is more important than any other status. There is no job status that is more important than any other job status in this community. God does not look at those things. We do. We look. That's how we look. But God doesn't. You are here because you're loved. And our task is to make that more incarnate among us and to start our relationships and end our relationships from that point. To make visible his character and his agenda in the world. 
Because make no mistake, the world needs this. Think of the public spaces in our culture at the moment that are being eroded. So many. Where else can you get a group of people from nine minutes to 99 or 109? Where else can you find groups of people that are this diverse? As the world gets more and more intensely the same people in little groups and more, more separated in that sense, as the world find it, finds it harder and harder to do relationships, we have something here that God is dying, that God has died to release into the world. Ian, for it is his very nature to love. It is his very nature to exist within community. And it is his very nature always to be reaching out, always to be restoring, repairing, redeeming, and to be paying the extremely high cost that involves. And the next slide was the Hosea passage. It's just to remind you of it. Um, please take it home with you. The nature of God's love is something we need to keep coming back to. Ian, please move on. To put this into practice is 20 sermons, right? I mean, to put this into practice is a lot more than talking, but you know, there's a lot of teaching that, that can be done on this. We can't do that today, but we can come back to the whole basis of it. And I think that that is a very important thing to do. And I think in all learning, we have to make conscious what we would perhaps not otherwise be bothered to make conscious. That's what learning is. So we, I think, need together to keep coming back to this bigger picture, that we are the household of God, and that is how he sees us. Now that we are here to learn together how to put this into practice in our fragmented world. Ian, move on. Here is another picture, and my question is, is this a better representation of the household of God than the one we looked at at the beginning? In some ways, maybe yes it is. At least there is some sense of family, and there's that word again, but there's some sense of family in this slide. There is a sense of people being together, but they're still separated out from one another, which is not the household of God. And also, they are not diverse enough. Move on, um, please. The church is bigger than this. And please try not to misunderstand me when I say that the church is bigger than a collection of nuclear families. I, this is not an anti-family statement. In fact, I have a firm belief that nuclear families work better when they're in a larger perspective. So I think our, our community, our culture isolates families far too much. Make no mistake, we need each other. And God knows that, and that's why we have been given to one another. Now, please forgive my pathetic 
feeble attempts to draw. I needed my friend Colin Sims on this one and he wasn't there. Anyway, the outer bit, oh Lord, it's even worse than it looks here. Mummy. Anyway, the outer structure represents the Trinity. Go on, use your imaginations. You know interactive learning is a good thing. Just work at it. Work at it. You have to work at it with my drawing. My students just laugh when I draw, but you know, it makes them work. This is good. What I'm trying to say here is that what we have is a huge household which nestles within the heart of the Trinity in a very real sense. And that the groupings within that are not separated groupings. It's great to be a nuclear family, but the people within it and it in itself as a little unit actually has profound relationships. If the church is working the way God means it to, it has deep, meaningful and profound relationships outwards to other people. And also it is receiving from other people both as individuals within it and as a unit. Friendship groups, the same as the case. Home fellowship groups, the same as the case. Those little stick figures somewhere towards the middle top are meant to represent childhood, growing up, teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, right up to the other end of the spectrum. Whatever age we are, whatever group of age group we're in, we should be having relationships that are going out from our age group and connecting with others. In a church that's working, you have a living organism where God dwells. And we need that. We need it quite desperately and the world needs it whether they know it or not. Because what the world needs is the very life of God. And if we work at this, I mean, we're already doing it. I have a profound sense of family and community in this congregation. But I'm saying this partly because I realize that not all of you do. That some people don't yet feel included. It's just something that you gotta keep at. And I think it's bigger than we think and it's probably a little harder than we think. And it's a bit more nitty gritty than we'd like. But actually, the blessing in it takes your breath away. It's worth it. Ian, I want you to do a very, very brief thought experiment because I truly am finishing now and I haven't forgotten that you have your dinners and da-da-da-da. I'm not going to ask you to do this physically because there isn't time and anyway I don't quite have the nerve but another time I'll have worked myself up to it. I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine quickly that you're not any longer sitting in the pew that you're sitting in at the moment. I want you to mentally picture yourself in the pew in front of you. Okay. You're no longer with the people you came in with and if you didn't come in with anybody, you're no longer with the people that you sat down beside. Okay, you got it. You should all be in the next pew by now. 
I want you to look at the people that represents, because you can see the backs of their heads at the minute. I want you to think quite consciously for a moment, he is my brother in Christ. And then I want you to think, she is my sister in Christ. We are family. We are the very household of God. I'm stuck with these people whether I like it or not. Okay. How does that feel? We had time I'd ask you to respond. We don't have time. But I'd really ask you, every time you come to church for the next month, please do that thought experiment and see if it makes a difference. I'd be interested if it makes a difference and I'd be interested if it doesn't make a difference. So I'll be asking you in a month's time when I come back from the holidays. Ian. God is here. And God will be more present to us the more we work at this, the more we do the nitty gritty, even if it is sometimes through gritted teeth, and it will be. The way we honor and respect one another. Last slide, Ian. Most of this is in square brackets because it's not in the scripture and the words of Janet are not important, the word of scripture is. So, but I'm kind of extending Paul's ideas. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, and there is neither male nor female, but nor is there old or young, teenager or young family, single or married, divorced or widowed, employed or unemployed, nuclear family or single parent, success or failure, moneyed or not moneyed. You are all one in Christ Jesus. To God be the glory. Amen.